Is your veterinary practice a good neighbor? What happens when barking dogs and nosy neighbors collide in a veterinary practice? This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And if you work in a veterinary practice, chances are there might have been some barking dogs at some point in your career. Now, what happens when that barking becomes incessant, maybe even offensive or obnoxious or at least intrusive to your neighbors? So regardless of where you are zoned, we know that we want to be respectful and sensitive to our neighbors surrounding us, business and residential and how do we handle that? This week, we're going to talk about all of that, some of the stories, trials, tribulations that we've encountered personally and those of our colleagues and friends. But before we get into all of those stories and maybe even a few solutions, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, this conversation was, I think, initially sparked by you running across a story of a veterinarian who was just not having great relationships with their neighbors over some noise and that kind of stuff. So maybe maybe share with the viewfinders where this whole thing started for us. Yeah, so I was doing a little poking around on um, backgrounding on a veterinarian that I didn't know who was interested in speaking for one of the conferences I'm affiliated with. And so I'm like, you know, I really love the opportunity to elevate people who are not currently in the circuit. So if I see the name of somebody I don't know or haven't heard speak before, I'm interested. So I did a little Google search and there was like a criminal charge against them, right? So what? I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm instantly, you know, I got my FBI badge out of the desk, <laughs> put it on where it belongs, uh, you know, and instantly talked like a sleuth. And <laughs> this case was actually brought to court from a neighbor complaining about barking. And it was cool because um, in reading, you didn't have to read really far to read all of the things this veterinary practice had done to accommodate this neighbor. And it was like literally construction level accommodations, soundproof walls. And I thought to myself um, how I had also recently experienced uh, at my hairdresser processing outside a local animal hospital has day camp and they're like barking like crazy, which like didn't bother me. But I started thinking like these apartments where my hairdresser is, is like, they're like $1,600 a month apartments. And now you're just like sitting out on your porch, having your cuppa, and you're listening to the the lovely morning sound of like pack of barking dogs. So I kind of was like, wow, there's two really important sides to this story. And obviously I'm biased because let the dogs bark, you know, but what do you do? I mean, this was so anyway, yeah, it sparks this conversation to like, let's talk this out because I bet people are experiencing this. Yeah. And viewfinders, we definitely want to hear your stories uh, because this is a real issue. And certainly as someone who has started and owned, you know, other clinics and, and pet facilities, this is one of those issues that's always sort of lurking in the background. So even though the zoning ordinance will allow a veterinary clinic or a kennel or a pet services, you know, business in the area, it doesn't always and typically does not allow you to then intrude upon your neighbor's, you know, um, 
noise or this, and you know, you have to be able to be respectful. And where this really gets amped up, Becky, is if you're in like a strip mall type of situation. So I've I've definitely encountered more than a handful of veterinarians who have have really lost their leases because of complaining adjacent neighbors. So you know, again, sometimes people say, "But hey, they're zoned to have uh, pet pet services in there." Well, yep, you are. But if you start to somehow you know intrude upon the, I'm trying to think of the word for it, but you know on the sanctity of your neighbors, you cannot, you know, you can't do that. And so you can then be brought up. And of course, I think you you mentioned this was actually a civil suit that was brought by a neighbor against uh, this veterinary practice, right? I actually think this was like a third level appeal or some craziness that I got into. <laughs> I mean, this is, this literally looked like it had gone on an exorbitant amount wow. of time. Uh Yeah, I really, I have a lot of empathy for this veterinarian, to be honest with you, because it seemed like they had gone above and beyond to accommodate somebody who was literally just not going to stop until they were gone. Um, And yeah, this is, this was litigation on a civil level over it. And it made me really think about the amount of time and money this veterinarian had to go through to deal with this and how fragile so many of our, you know, our colleagues are in this profession and how it's those kinds of things that really drive us to, you know, you know, to piggyback on our previous conversation, not recommend our profession anymore. Yeah, that's a really good point. So again, I think what we want to talk about viewfinders are some of the things that we can be proactive in these situations. So that what are the, what are you doing to sort of limit your exposure and potential offensive behavior. So noise, of course, has to be right at the top of the list. Now, Becky and I have several things we want to cover today, but noise is going to be one of the key issues that you will confront. Because let's face it, if you're trying to sleep in late, you maybe you work third shift, right? And suddenly there's a, a pet services, a vet clinic, a kennel or something, a groomer that pops up in your area. Now you're being awakened at 8 a.m. by a rough, rough, rough. I mean, so what are some of the things, Becky, that you think vets can do to be better neighbors when it comes to just <laughs> noise control? Fair. My true answer, like the first of all, I'm shocked at the amount of people who feel like the amount of noise that they experience outside the four walls of their home is um, something that they need to correct. Uh, I I am surprised. I I really am. But okay, let's back it up. Is there a noise ordinance in your town, first of all? Um, If there's not, you know, that's, you know, a legislative issue. If it is, what is it? To me, like, I don't really want to hear a lot of noise, a ton of noise before 10 a.m. and after 10 p.m. Like, those are kind of like my windows of like, you've got to be reasonable here. 9 a.m., I'm going to give you dirty looks, but accept it. So can we, you know, not be putting our doggy daycare out at 20 dogs at a time at 7.30 in the morning? Can we um, work with our kennel staff to, to put the maybe more barky dogs out or hand walk so that they're getting the attention they need not to bark until X amount of time. So I think the first most obvious thing is to try to work within reasonable hours is your is your first and most solid leg to stand on that you're trying to be considerate. Right. And I think it's important also viewfinders to kind of point out that 
dog barking is loud. So if you look at some of the published data, a dog's bark can yeah. reach about 80 to 90 decibels, but some can be over 100. Now, Becky, when you and I talk to each other, even in a fairly loud voice, we're only hitting about 60. Automobiles are capped out around 80 decibels, right? A jackhammer is 90. So we're talking about a jackhammer noise from a dog barking. So it's not a small, insignificant amount of noise being generated. So this is why, you know, it becomes an issue. And with this particular case that Becky yeah. highlighted, it's like, you know, this person, and maybe even they had sensitivities, right? I mean, there could be a, lots sure. of things going on with this individual. But, you know, the reality is a dog bark is not just a little yip, yip, yip. <laughs> and and I will say, Becky, you and I have been in this long enough. We probably have selective hearing loss when it comes to dog oh, yeah. barks. You know, we don't hear dog bark, barks the same way. And whether that's a physical deficit or a mental coping mechanism. I don't know. But, you know, we don't hear dog barks the same as maybe the general public and not everybody loves dogs. So we need to be clear that, hey, this can be a significant issue. One of the things when when we were designing our um, our second clinic, one of the things that we did was just like this person, we made sure that we had solid concrete block, you know, around the perimeter. So that was one of those things that could ho hopefully trap sounds and limit the amount of sounds that would leave the building. And so we did you know, some soundproof and we had sound tiles throughout the clinic. You know, we did all those things that we could do to handle it. But Becky, here's the problem. All those dogs that are inside, at some point, typically they would go outside. <laughs> you walk them before <laughs> surgery or maybe even bored or whatever. You know, so suddenly now when they're outside, one of the most important things you can do as a, as a veterinary technician, as an assistant, as a vet, is to try to limit the amount of barking that they do while they're on leash. I mean, you know, Becky, I think sometimes that's, it, that's, what, that's a simple solution. Ironically, my dogs are barking in the back to make sure that they're part of this. I think it's a very simple solution. And then I hear all my behavior technicians out there screaming at me right now, like, give them something to do. Why are they barking? Like, well, let's look at why are they barking? Why are these dogs barking? Because most of the time, um, it isn't always just they love the sound of their voice, right? <laughs> right. It's either because we're marching other dogs past them. And right. There's some kind right. of aggression and fence fighting happening. It's because they can see other dogs. It's because they are anticipating, right? They know food and water is coming, whatever it is. Right. But there's a behavior related to the barking that is probably the dog experiencing something heightening, right? right. So actually, we can probably address barking if we are addressing behavior, especially if we're talking individual dogs in a run at a time, as opposed to a pack of dogs turned out for daycare. And Becky, that's exactly the point I was trying to make. And thank you for, for reinforcing it. Because, yeah, we focus a lot on the soundproof tiles and the thick walls and the soundproofing yeah. in the walls and all that stuff. And that is an important element. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I certainly spent a lot of money in our facilities to do that. But... We need to focus on the behavior, you know, make sure because like Becky said, typically barking is in response to something else. And so whether it's stress or fear or, or anxiety or, or just, you know, even play, whatever it might be, we can do a better job. And again, if you're taking that dog outside and it's a barker, you need to be doing everything in your power to help mitigate the yeah. amount of barking. I mean, that's just that's being a good neighbor. Yeah. Or, like, you know, rotate them at least to be the last dog to go out. <laughs> right. So you're not, you, you know, your first sign of morning sun is not going to be that Yorkie or my Chawini down there that you can hear barking <laughs> at the top of which uh, is 
a strong wind for sure right, <laughs> setting right. her off, you know? So, and, and we know our dogs, that's where you lean into your kennel staff as being the ones that know these pets. They know the second I leave this dog alone, he's going to yap his head off. So you know what they do? They tuck it under their forearm like a football and then they fill all the dog bowls. I mean, how many times have you seen your kennel tech keeping somebody quiet or content or happy um, because they know that pet so well and they know what that experience is going to be like. Maybe they're just really happy to see somebody because it's first thing in the morning. Um, so, yeah, and it's, I think that's important to the the health of everybody because, you, you know, you're right. I, I myself, I can say, um, like when we work these ASPCA shelters where we might have hundreds of dogs in a huge warehouse setting, a big, huge open cement room, uh, hearing protection is like required. These right. they can really be a lot. And, um, you know, it, it's. It, it, it again, like I, I'm surprised at how angry people get about these types of things. That really did surprise me, but I'm trying to see it from their point of view as well. Okay, so one other tip too, like let's say that your clinic does boarding, or you have a facility that does boarding, or whatever, and you anticipate a surge. And so this is a trick that Laura started pulling off many, many moons ago. So around July and Christmas. So so those were two big boarding times for us. So we knew it was going to be a little crazy, right? And crazy in the vet world means often loud. So what Laura would do is she would go to all of the businesses that were near us, you know, within that sort of sound proximity, if you will, and she would give them a gift basket. <laughs> and she would say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, it's July. we know July, it's going to be crazy this year, you know, so we really appreciate you guys uh, being patient with us. Obviously, you know, we're doing everything possible to, to keep everything, you know, so it doesn't infringe on you, but, you know, hey, here's a little, you know, some chocolate or whatever. And I'll tell you, sometimes that does go a long way. It goes a long way, yeah. Because honestly, acknowledging your space, right? And like not denying it and saying, I'd rather work with you than against you. And I think there's a difference between small business owners nearby who are also just like, they get the struggle, you're in a business, than residential neighbors who are like, I've paid however much to live here right. in my peace, in my quiet, in my space. And now your veterinary practice is taking that away. That's a good point. Okay, so noise we've covered viewfinders. If you've got any tips for us, definitely share them because I think we all struggle with that. But Becky, there's another issue of being a good neighbor and that's like being respectful of parking. Now, no matter what kind of parking situation you have, there's always the potential that one of your clients or even one of your employees is going to wind up parking in somebody else's space area, somehow encroaching on their stuff, spaces. (laughs) So, you know, Becky, I think that being a good neighbor in a veterinary clinic also is being respectful of parking. When you were saying that, it was making me think about how we all have our designated spots in the parking lot. Like, think about how mad you get if a coworker parks in your spot, <laughs> right, let alone right. like a complete stranger neighbor is taking up your parking spot. And I used to, we used to have this struggle at a clinic that I worked at that was shared. Um, it was actually like a co-op grocery store parking lot where we had separate lots. And so there's two levels of having to be nice here because when they're taking your spots, how do you maintain the relationship with your business neighbor and being like, hi, your customer's in my spot again. Uh, Maybe not necessarily just like calling a tow truck. And then the flip side of that, right, where you're parking in their spaces and you have to work with your clients to say, hi, you can't be in their spots. So um, parking becomes at least a twofold problem. Yeah. and, And so, in one of our locations, you know, Becky, we did the classic, had to put the signs up, this yeah. space reserved for, and, and, and that works, but you know, it's, 
it's still people would not always respect that sign. And so sometimes, you know, other customers would be clogging up all of our spots and suddenly our people are like, Hey, there's no parking spaces, you know, and my, yeah. do- my dog doesn't like the hot, you know, concrete. Right. I mean, there's sure. all those kind of things that are legitimate. Uh, and then vice versa. I'm sure sometimes our clients wound up in other people's parking spaces, but you know, I think that, that you do the best you can, but you also, again, part of being a, a neighbor, a good neighbor is just to be aware of where you could possibly be a bad neighbor. And so parking is one of those things that you really need to instruct your staff on and have very clear boundaries on where you park and where you don't park. You know, Becky, this really happens during growth phases. Uh, Our our very first location was next door to, and I'm not going to name the name, but it's like a civic group of, you know, people. And it's one of those clubs. And so um, as we kept growing, of course, we quickly ran out of, out of the number of parking spaces that we had. So we started parking along the side of our building. Well, we were on our property, but let's face it, it didn't look good. And this this business started to complain. They said, you know, hey, you guys are parking all up and down you know, on the side of your building, you know, blah, blah, when people drive up. And, and so I had to, to really take a big uh, swallow a humble pie and go mm. over there and say, you're, you know, you're right. I, I totally get it. You know, we're, we're desperate. We're trying to figure this out. But, you know, and I had to, we really had to work out a thing where we wound up parking at a different, I, I wound up making an arrangement with another business saying, hey, can we park in the back of your business? Yeah. And, and our staff had to walk a quarter mile. I mean, the, the people that were there. And honestly, one of the things that was a down downstream effect of that, Becky, was you started showing up early to work because <laughs> nobody oh. wanted to walk. But it's still, you know, it, it's one of those things, again, just parking, I think, is one of those areas that we don't talk enough about, but you can really tick off your neighbor. It, oh, yeah. I mean, and again, like, how do you enforce it? Are you calling tow trucks? Are you going over right, and, right. you know, pitching a fit? And then really, who's in charge of it? Because that's the other thing. It, it, it's never, you know, like, Dr. Ernie, you're not getting out of your doctor's appointment to go deal with it, right? right. So, like, now your receptionist is like, hi, office manager, there's somebody in our spot. Oh, go yell at them. <laughs> oh, sorry, you're not paying that poor lady $8 an hour or whatever to go now get in a verbal confrontation over parking. And that's who, I, like, the people who end up he- dealing with it are are the ones who definitely should not be. And it's, um, it's a interesting dynamic now because we have COVID and everything is curbside and done so differently that I, you know, it's interesting. It would be interesting to me to see how that's working because, you know, you see these clinics with two hour waits, right? Like emergency clinics. And I'm like, where are all of those cars going? So I I wonder what the overflow looks like now, even more so in the situation that we're in with COVID. That's a really good point. Well, another area that, that I've personally encountered is sort of controlling your client and how they let their dog relieve themselves. So, so if, you, if you've ever been in an area where there was another business next door, and again, it doesn't have to be like 10 feet away. It can be like, you know, 50 feet, 100 feet away, right? But you know inevitably that clients are going to show up for their appointment and they want to take their dog for a quick walk. And I actually had an issue where a lady had taken a large dog <laughs> over into the to, in between the two buildings and her dog had relieved itself number two. And so I got a really nasty voicemail. And um, again, not only do we go pick up the poop and take care of that, but I actually hired um, a lawn person to come over and like do some shrubbery work. Because again, you're trying to make amends, right? I want to 
be yeah. a good neighbor. But, you know, viewfinders and, and Becky, what do you think about like, how do you tell your your clients, hey, don't walk your dog on the other business lawn and let them go to poop? I really need to tattoo it on their forearm and hope <laughs> that I haven't, I haven't discovered that is that is the, the eighth yeah. wonder of the world. Um, Cause it seems impossible. And I, t- I'm also laughing because as a pet owner, the first thing I do is get my pet out of the car and like, let's go march around on the grass. Right. But that's because I have collected first morning year. And to be fair, <laughs> I've done my work, um, but it's, it's our, it is our natural instinct. I, I think part of this again is, is communication um, in, and that comes down to our customer service reps who we always underestimate the importance of what they're doing and their needs to communicate. But I, I think this is also where we need to leverage our technology, right? Like there are so many ways we can be using these tech text message technologies that remind you of your appointment, remind you to catch your and remind you not to let them do this. Um, there's even great ones. Like, you know, you can check in and say you're here online. It'll say, great. Don't get out of your car. We want your pee and poop, like whatever (laughs) you, we can leverage the technologies. Um, but at the same time too, clients are going to do what clients are going to do. And there's a certain level of acceptance there. Yep. And, and, and Becky, I love what you just said. That's exactly what we did. We tried to have when they were scheduling or calling to remind for the appointments, you would say, Hey, when you get here, just to come straight on in because, you know, we're going to have our techs take them right back and, and get the fecal and urine sample. So, you know, again, trying to obviate that problem of, Hey, there's businesses on either side of us and we want to make sure we're respectful and so forth. The other thing too, is just being super attentive because uh, I can tell you, I've had this conversation more than once, Becky, with, you know, people who are in again, urban areas with kind of strip mall practices where dog poop has been left in the parking lot. And that yeah. is not only a public health hazard, but, you know, come on, that is, that's kind of the epitome of being a bad neighbor. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's bad enough when I'm on my runs uh, and it just happened uh, two mornings ago. You know, guys just letting his dog take a dump right there on the side of the sidewalk, you know, mm. didn't, didn't pick it up or anything. Uh, I actually on the return picked up his dog's poop because it's just, just disgusting, right? And I worry about little kids playing around, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, my point is you need to be super attentive of all the grounds around you, maybe that you don't even control and clean them up. I think that's just being a good veterinary neighbor. I mean, right, because they are ultimately going to be most associated with your practice. And if I, you know, was next to a bar, I wouldn't want beer cans and bottles in right. my parking lot. And I would expect them to do that. And I, and I would suggest that um, I did work for a clinic that was next door to a bar. So it was like a super good parking switch situation. Because yeah. by the time they were busy, we were closed. And by the time we were open, they were closed. And we would share parking with each other. So if you can find some alternating business hours next door and use their overflow, uh, it worked out really great for us. But you're right. You just need to be cognizant. And I think hiring someone or ensuring it's part of the kennel staff's daily responsibilities and technicians' daily responsibilities to just walk those grounds. Um, I always thought it was a great thing that for the smokers to do because if they aren't clocked out, they might as well, um, you know, walk around, find the piles, grab a bag, get rid of it, um, mark it, flag it so you can finish your cigarette and go back and get it, whatever it is. But like, how can we leverage? Um, the staff that we have to the time that we have to make sure that that's like one of the number one things. Cause like you said, 
it's a public health hazard and it's a huge mar, I think, on your business. Like if I'm walking my dog to go to the bathroom at your facility and I don't have access to baggies, um, there is not garbage cans easy nearby and there's poop around, I'm going to be, I'm judging you. Wow. Yeah. And Becky, I, I what I love also is you just led into my next little potential issue do. that we can get. And that is around like cigarette breaks. Now this was more of a problem back in my heyday, right? So 20 years ago, you know, people still took a lot of smoke breaks. More people smoked back then. And so you took smoke breaks and so forth. But I, again, one of the issues that I, I did encounter frequently with my colleagues was the fact that they would have complaints from other businesses when staff members would be like hang, loitering on the side of the building, you know, taking a jag or whatever. What are you, what, what do you call smoking? <laughs> I'm not a smoker, as you can tell, but you know, they'd be taking a drag, right? Take You take a drag. Yeah, anyway, so right. I don't know what I'm talking about. Viewfinders most of the time. But anyway, so they're now loitering out back and, you know, other businesses didn't like the way that looked. And I totally get that. Now, I've never really had that personally experience. But Becky, have you ever heard of things like that where people like taking a break, a smoke break or whatever, just kind of hanging outside and, you know, that could encroach on other businesses? I try super hard not to be a judgy person in life. Like I really, really do. And I am a former smoker. I smoked for years. I, I mean, I think it's what gave me the nodes you love so much in this <laughs> podcast. I have not smoked in um, almost 10 years. And uh, the other day I had dropped my motorcycle to get inspected. Right. And I went, it's between the gas station and the, um, the garage there's a <laughs> this is so ironic it's a tanning salon um and there were three people outside smoking from the tanning salon and so i, I one i was like you're really boy you're savage right, <laughs> to, right. tanning and smoking like right. you're looking for the highway <laughs> to, but um i was like i wish i didn't have to walk through this right now like i was and even as a reformed smoker, it does one of two things. It either triggers me to like immediately go buy a pack of cigarettes and jump right into the conversation with them or throw up. And it, it, they're right out front of the business. And I, again, try not to be a judgy person. Everyone has their right to do whatever. Like I get it. And I know that even people who smoke wish they didn't. But like, yeah, it is a really hard thing to be like, I don't smoke. My clients are now having like to walk through your smoke to get to my business. And um, they're complaining to me. Again, it's like a neighborly thing. Um, and then you've got to create that space to accommodate, you know, uh, your employees, right? It's a tough conversation. But, you know, again, viewfinders, if you're going to be a good neighbor and be aware of the areas where you might be a bad neighbor, this might be one of them. Well, I think, too, you can take examples from businesses around you, right? Like the airport, you have to be 10 foot away from any door to smoke. Um, I think there are ways to create just rules and regulations within your clinic on whatever it is um, to ensure that it's it's a baseline rule and everybody is, is accommodated, but also so are your clients. At the same time, too, I think you have to be realistic about you're not going to make everybody happy all the time. And um I guess, what do you do when you have that neighbor who is who is literally going to take you to court, civil court on multiple appeals? How what, What's your advice for that veterinarian on his third trip back to court because this lady's mad at him? Yeah, yeah, that's this is this is what we're trying to avoid. Right, Becky? I mean, these are the kind of scenarios that we're trying to avoid by being a better neighbor. And and ultimately, you know, 
this particular case is like many, they wind up in court to be litigated and then someone is declared in the right or, or not. And so uh, I don't know what the outcome of this was. Becky, do you know what the outcome of this case was or did they? No, that was just the appeal that I read. And, you gotcha. know, I went down a pretty deep rabbit hole that I didn't have in the first place. <laughs> um, and then, and so I, I really, I should do some follow-up because I am interested um, if this happened to you, if this sounds like you. Let us <laughs> let know. Us, let us know how <laughs> let it us turned, know how turned out. out. <laughs> yeah. I've never had legal action, but you know, it breaks, yeah. it breaks my heart to, to think that it would rise to that occasion. And then that's when you always have to rewind the tape and self-reflect and evaluate, were there other things we could do perhaps to have avoided it? And and probably not in this situation. It sounds like it was you know pretty bad, but you know, sure. regardless, let's try to do the things to avoid it. I guess, Becky, the final thing that, that I kind of want to touch on today is the importance of good neighbors is because of my greatest fear in owning practices. And that is escape. <laughs> Yeah. And I hate to even say it out loud, viewfinders, but the reality yeah, yeah. is, you know, it's whether or not it bolts out of the car when the, the owner pulls up or when you're trying to take it out to the car. I mean, you and I know there are a whole host of re- reasons and, 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 you know, things that are out of your control that could happen. And so by having good neighbors, honestly, they can sometimes help you, save you, you know, uh, just you never know what might happen. And so I think that at the end of the day, you know, this is a really important conversation to go and and make sure you introduce yourself to your to your neighbors. You know, I I, I got to tell you, Becky, I was recently talking to uh, a not not a friend, but somebody. They were asking for some advice, and yeah. they've been referred to me, and I was like going to do my friend a favor. And um, anyway, she was talking about it. she's in a strip mall. It's a new practice. She's kind of having some growth struggles and and having some issues. And um, I was asking her about the the adjacent businesses. And Becky, it became very apparent almost immediately she had never met the owners of the two businesses on either side of her. And so if you're that clinic, viewfinders, I really think you should. I mean, you should go and introduce yourself. You know, this was a relatively new clinic. I think she'd been in that facility maybe a year, year and a half. And and Becky, again, part of being a good neighbor is introducing yourself. But yet I am, I am, I guess I'm not shocked anymore, but it does surprise me the number of people that just never go and say, hi, I'm Dr. Ward. I own the clinic next door. Hey, I'd like to get to know you. <laughs> Yeah, isn't it? I mean, that's our the mentality in general. We don't tend to be as neighborly as we used to. Um, But I I think it is an important thing because you've got to look out for each other. Like um, we we need our neighbors to keep an eye on our clinic. We need our neighbors to keep an eye, like you said, out for escapes or for some, you know, dog digging under the fence in the backyard that we don't realize is happening or, you know, for us to look out for them. I mean, at the end of the day, we all need each other and we need to be a lot more um, cooperative, I think, than we tend to be. And like you said, sort of maybe always like to say and tilt tilt toward optimism, just like like tilt toward being a good neighbor first and trying to be proactive about building that relationship, especially if you know you're going to be maybe not the the best neighbor, neighbor. but there could be benefits. Did you give your neighbors a good neighbor discount? Like maybe you could throw a little 15% at them or something. Absolutely. So these are the kind of, because that can actually avoid uh, litigation like Becky said, because, you know, if you know the person next door to you and they got a really noisy dog in there or something, I'm much more likely to go knock on the door and say, Hey, Dr. Ward, can you keep any way to keep that down other than calling the cops? 
And in the case of this veterinarian, they might have been there to testify on his behalf as a good oh, neighbor. You yeah, never know when you're yeah. going to need a witness. <laughs> That's a really good point. So again, I mean, you know, so, so yeah, just, just be neighborly. Hey, you know what? That's really what we should call this. How to be neighborly as a vet clinic. And so if you don't know your, your, you know, I, I get, if you don't know your neighbors, you should definitely go out and, and meet them. You know, as I mentioned before, I think one of the best tactics that Laura ever learned early, as, as, especially as we were growing rapidly, there's a period when we move into a new facility and suddenly we went from, you know, being able to hold, you know, 20 dogs to being able to hold a hundred dogs. Well, guess what? Yeah. The noise, you know, went, went yeah. skyrocketing as well. So it was really important for Laura to go out and give those gift baskets because I think it probably paid years of dividends. Did I mention I can hear your dogs from here? <laughs> you probably can. They're border terriers. So if the average dog bark is 80 to 90 decibels, a border terrier is probably 290, I guess. I oh, I, I have chewinies. I have no sympathy. I have, <laughs> have chewinies. You guys, with those little dogs, you know. Uh, I Honestly, I love this. I, I think the, the idea of being a good neighbor is tilting toward that optimism and and being proactive is important and i want to hear how you guys are doing it i want to hear like what your neighbor good neighbor relationship i kind of want to hear your neighbor drama um bring it to our facebook i want to read about it (laughs) part of being a good neighbor for us is to go over to apple itunes podcast whatever they want to call it and give us a five-star review you have no idea how excited Becky and I get every time we hear from you guys on Apple Podcasts. We're like, oh my gosh, we got this review. It's so awesome. It may, it, it just means really the world. It really is nice. You guys say the nicest things. And, and truly, it is the best way for us to get the word out. Click that subscribe button. That's the number one way for us to get visibility. So it is, it is really, truly being a great neighbor for us if you just subscribe and give some stars yeah and head over to instagram veterinary viewfinder twitter vet viewfinder and facebook where there's all kinds of conversations always happening at the veterinary viewfinder until next week we hope we're being a good neighbor to you we'll talk to you soon bye bye what did i oh <laughs> <laughs> you can't erase that from the internet <laughs>